Marini's Media. So, I thought teaming up with The Athletic was a good thing. It was supposed to bring joy to thousands, enhance both brands and lead to unbridled success. So how come no one told Or Young Waikiki when he bought Wigan? This is the Totally Football League show. Yes, welcome in listening to our weekly chatter on all things that relate to the English Football League. I'm Matt Davis-Adams. I'm joined by two men with knowledge for days on the EFL, if nothing else. Hello, Sam Parkin. All right, Matt. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Good day, Adrian Clark. Good day. Uh, right, last week saw the wildly successful debut of our Ask the Pundits a Question About Themselves quiz. We are working on a snappier title. Some suggestions from producer Abby include This Was Your Life, Footballers' <laughs> Own Lives, Did That Really Happen, Goals for Goals, Clarky v Parky, Who's More Sparky, Clarky v Parky, What's This Malarkey, Clarky v Parky, How Long Before Sam Gets Sarky, um, etc. and so on. Um, <laughs> Question-wise, Adrian, you're up first this week. You got yours right last week, uh, eventually. (laughs) This one, I think, is going to be a bit trickier. The last goal you scored before swapping your boots for a microphone was for Margate in a 3-0 win against Farnborough on the 4th of April 2004. What we want to know is which players scored the other two goals in that game. You must get both to get the point. Can I steal? (laughs) If you can steal these, you can just win, full stop. Yeah, you win the series. Oh, um, right, Margate. I'll go for Rocky Baptiste. Wrong. No, okay. Uh, I can't even remember um, who was in our team. Jay Saunders. Let's go for him. Yes, Jay Saunders is one of them. Um, Half a point. I'll give you half a point for that. The other one, uh, Sam, can you guess it? Um, Chaz and Dave. (laughs) Will they go down there? Don't disrespect Margate. (laughs) It was Chay Stadhart. Ah, Chay. Yeah, of course. That was a on the tip of your tongue, wasn't it? Um, okay, so half a point. <laughs> Sam, you complained your question last week was too tricky. Let's see if this one's any easier for you. I suspect it might not be. Um, we'll be talking Wickham on this week's show. It won't surprise you to learn, Sam, that you had a loan spell back there in the 2001 season, famously stepping off the bench to plunder a late winner against Wolves in the FA Cup. Um, Sam wrote that bit. That Wolves side that day contained a member of the England squad that flopped badly at Euro 92. Who was he? <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> Euro ninety two. Yeah. Part of the England. Euro ninety two. I know yeah. it anyway. I know it. Do you? Think so. No, I've gone completely blank. Euro ninety two. Steve Ball must have been nineteen ninety. Steve Ball surely wasn't in that squad. It was a player uh, that I I went, huh, he played for Wolves. So Wolves not not the side that he's most Commonly associated with. I'm going to go with Tony Daly. Mm, correct, I'm afraid. It was the former Queen's Park Rangers winger, Andy Sinton. Yeah, I mean, call, call it, what is it? Clarky and Parky, how long until Sam gets Sarky? Call it that, because yeah. that's yeah. embarrassing again. Is that, is that, can I just clarify, is that, is that another win? Yes, by half a point, yeah. Yeah, yeah thanks. I, mean, I don't get I don't... the opportunity. Can you give me another question so I can get a half point? <laughs> <laughs> okay, what, season, what two it? names to get? Okay, what was the attendance that day in the game between Wickham and Wolves? You have to get it spot yeah. on. It was snowing, and Andy Rammel scored for for Wickham. Can I have half a point for that? Mm. <laughs> I tell you what, I'll give you an easier question next week. I mean, Thanks, Adrian's mate. sort of the winner, but we're all sort of losers as well. I think, um, particularly you, listener. Should we move on to the championship? Tuesday was another biggie. You're listening to the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill. Championship headlines. Tuesday saw Forest fell by Fulham. The Bees bounce back against Charlton. Cardiff and Blackburn play out a five-goal thriller. Reading and Huddersfield do the opposite of that. And Luton and Barnsley get a point that neither wanted. Elsewhere, Bristol City have parted company with Lee Johnson. Anyone ever parted company with something that's not a football manager? Like, I don't know, misplaced umbrella, that couple of pounds you lost thanks to Joe Wicks, a tenner. No, it doesn't happen, does it? And double Leeds news. The league leaders have completed the signing of Helder Costa for £16 million and they've had their academy upgraded to Category 1 status. So more Calvin Phillips types coming to a pitch near you soon? Question mark. Okay, about Tuesday night then. Uh, Where do you want to start, chaps? The world-famous city ground? No? Okay, let's move on then. Um, (laughs) Clarky, what what really caught your eye from Tuesday's game? Another really good win for Brentford, who are... 
applying proper pressure, aren't they, on, on the top two, Leeds and West Brom. I think we've got a genuine four-horse race now for, for automatic promotion, maybe even a title race. So so well played, Brentford, because this was a difficult game. Unlike some of the other ones they've had recently, they had to come from behind up against really dogged opponents. Yet they, they stuck to it and they ground ground Charlton down. It was... Um, it was a really, really important, important victory for them. I thought De Silva was outstanding. I know he's a player that, that Sam admires too. He was excellent, played his part in, in both of the goals and, and almost scored scored himself as well. So look, Brentford, no one's playing better than Brentford right now. It's, uh, it must be a very, very exciting place to be inside that dressing room. And yeah, they're, 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 they'll be starting to believe that they can um, they can pinch a place in the top two and and do you know what with West Brom having such a flaky defence, I think I think there's an opportunity for them. Club record sixth successive win in the second tier for Brentford. Sam, do you think Saeed Ben Rama has got a, a shout for being Championship Player of this season? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think Ben Rama has been scintillating and someone that I highlighted. Uh, his attitude we'd have to, to keep an eye on considering he'd been linked to, to Chelsea and Leicester amongst others um, a month or so ago. So he's been first class. And, and last night, it seems to all be about Thomas Frank's tactics board this morning. And I thought Ben Rama was the player that he was in deep conversation with. And he actually came a bit more central and was a bit deeper and kind of orchestrated that late comeback from Brentford. So um, whatever he said to him clearly worked and um, they're the best team in the division, pound for pound at the moment, I would say. And they're going to run West Brom close because looking at the fixtures, Stoke and Derby away, I think they've still got to play Brentford. I can see them maybe dropping a couple of points, but no more than that. Um, We better mention Forrest losing against Fulham after what happened on Saturday. Um, Fulham have picked it up a bit, Clarkie. All of a sudden, you touched on it there, maybe looking like they could threaten the top two. Yeah, I mean, when I watch Fulham, I'm I'm not inspired. I still still think they should be better, but but they're grinding out results, aren't they? They're they're some they're managing to to keep things relatively tight at the back and. And pinching, pinching narrow victories. It was a great goal from from Harry Arta. I, I just still feel that they're getting by almost on talent alone, and I don't mean that too disparagingly towards Scott Parker, who's, who has done a, a solid job. Just think that that they could be better, certainly more free flowing as a team, and certainly um, just just better better to watch. But I guess Fulham fans aren't bothered how how good they are to watch at the moment. It's uh, it's it's all about results at the business end of the season. Yeah, for, for me, Fulham um, are some way behind Leeds, West Brom and Brentford in terms of where they are as a team. But the league table tells you they're really pr- pretty close. If we move on to Luton 1, Barnsley 1, mentioned it doesn't really do either team a favour, especially not when you look at, at Barnsley's running. They got Wigan at the weekend. Then after that, they finish against Leeds, Forest and Brentford. What about Luton, Sammy? Are you giving your, your old club much chance of beating the drop? They really could have done with the win here. Someone sent me a tweet last week after I think it was the Leeds performance asking if I felt they would stay up. And looking at the fixtures, I was pretty optimistic. That was prior to them getting absolutely battered 5-0 by Reading. They just could not get near Reading. A bit of a freak, um, you have to say. I think that's the heaviest defeat that Nathan Jones has had in some considerable distance in his two spells at at Luton. But last night, old Sluger, our mate, kept um, Luton in the game in the first half. Barnsley really could have been out of sight. Interested to see they had 62% of the ball, the the visiting side, and um, back to... The norm, really, for Luton with Collins and Hilton reunited, back to the diamond, um, made one change defensively after that defeat. So, yeah, I mean, it's not a good point for either. I think time's running out. I think they're going to soon need snookers, both teams. And I don't know. I just think for Luton to go down this year, it will be bitterly disappointing. But is it a disaster? I'm not so sure. I think if they can come back, uh, obviously, into the new stadium in the next few years, Championship clubs are going to go through some form of financial turmoil, I would suggest, in the next 12 months, 24 months. I think it'll be a more even playing field for clubs like Luton to get into the championship and consolidate. You know, we're still talking about, 
I think four of the bottom seven, maybe before the weekend, are still get receiving parachute payments. You know, you're talking about Stoke and, uh, and Middlesbrough and the like. So it's tough for clubs like Luton with the revenue, with the ground, with the wages they can pay. So I think it's going to be tough for them now, but but hopefully they'll get back in the championship if they get relegated this year and are able to stay there. Uh, Cardiff lost at home 3-2 to Blackburn. We're going to talk about Blackburn in depth a bit later, so we'll skim over that one other than to, to give some love to the Adam Armstrong winner. Now rolls back to Nelson. Again, you see Johnson pressing and then urging his teammates to push up as well. Poor pass and Armstrong goes for goal! Oh my word! Oh my word! What a goal! Absolutely out of this world! And say so it was a damaging defeat for Cardiff, who, who aren't looking that secure uh, in the final playoff position as of Tuesday. Reading nil, Huddersfield nil. Uh, we don't need to talk about for a long time. I just wonder, Clarkey, who's done the better job after taking over mid-season, Mark Bowen or Danny Cowley? <laughs> it's a good question, actually. I think, uh, well, I think both have done pretty well. Um, Cowley, I just I just don't see him taking Huddersfield down. He's, he's one of these coaches that seems to be able to grind out results when he needs to. And 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 yeah, from where Huddersfield were, he, he's taken them, taken them forward. There's a lot more work to do, by the way, for, for Huddersfield to, to get back to being contenders. Bowen has surprised me because Bowen was known as a number two. And I thought it was a very odd appointment at the time. But... I think he's flourishing in the role and, and, and the team is playing some, some lovely football. He's got some good players to watch and obviously that 5-0 hammering of Luton was, was a real thriller for, for Royals fans. So, so no, I think I, I would probably say they're, they're both on a par. So I'm going to sit on the fence there. Um, but both are, um, both are doing well. I, I thought Cowley would, would shine. I didn't with Bowen, so, so he surprised me. Uh, plenty of games on Wednesday as well. We can't react to those because they haven't happened yet. Although kickoff in Millwall v Borough is probably about five minutes away from when we're recording. Um, we better move on to the Wigan story. Last week, as we were recording, the news broke that they'd been put into administration. Things have got pretty weird since then. The very short version of a very long story is that Dave Whelan sold the club to a Hong Kong-based company called IEC, run by Dr. Stanley Choi, who very recently decided enough was enough and sold on his stake to a brand new company called the New Leadership Fund, who are based in the tax haven of the Cayman Islands. Dr. Choi there was meant to hold on to a majority 51% of the club, and a mysterious businessman or young Wai Ki would have the other 49%. Uh, he was declared bankrupt in 2004, by the way. Fast forward to last week and the announcement that the club had been placed into administration, meaning a 12-point deduction, something that they are appealing. Administrators say there are more than 50 offers on the table to buy the club, including one from the Wigan Warriors rugby league team, with whom the Latics share a ground. Oyoung Waiki released a statement to Wigan today, placing the majority of the blame on the global pandemic. The EFL aren't buying that. The Wigan MP Lisa Nandy has called for a government inquiry, saying the case shows the complete failure of governance safeguards to protect clubs like ours. On Tuesday, I spoke with the Athletics Football News and Investigations reporter Matt Slater about this whole head-scratching situation. No one really seems to know why this has happened. It, it, it frankly is, is almost a rational behaviour in terms of what, a, what an owner would be doing. If the owner had had enough and wanted to sell the club, well, you get a lot more for a championship club than you do for a League One club. If he wanted to recoup some of his money, you get a lot more if you sell your good players gradually and without waving a big flag saying, we're in trouble over here, come, come get our good players for, for now. So it's just a very, very sort of strange process. And therefore, when weird things happen, the vacuum tends to be filled by rumours. And there's all kinds of crazy stories that I'm sure the listeners will be aware of to do with gambling debts. And is it all just kind of rigging? You know, is it, is it, a, is it a scan? Did someone put a big bet on Wigan to go down? All kinds of All kinds of stuff out there. But that's really because we don't fully understand what has happened here. Why a well-run club, certainly championship standards, well-run club without much debt that was going in the right direction on the field, someone has bought this club, 
it's like you've bought a brand new car and you've just smashed it into the into a wall for no apparent reason it's just this is what i can't get my head around it it, it just is very unusual very strange and everyone can moan and complain about the EL, about what the english football league have done here and we can definitely discuss that and the owners directors test but there are times though when the best test and the best measures in the world you cannot do much about someone then doing something totally totally strange and odd we're speaking on tuesday sort of an hour or so after it's been announced that that half of the non-playing staff are, are going to be losing their jobs is there a reason why the administrators make that decision rather than saying sell a couple of players which would provide far more money than, than axing non-playing staff presumably the first thing an administrator has to do is 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 cut the losses. Administrators come in and they just look at the books and go, right, we must stem the bleeding here. And job losses are, are the quickest, easiest way to do it. And then you sort of move on to the trickier bits is, OK, let's have a look at our assets. What we, what can we realise right now? Now, the thing about football, of course, is it's, it's yeah, whilst everybody knows a, a really simple way out of this for any club in, in, in financial struggles, and most of these clubs, many of these clubs anyway, in, in the EFL, budget to sell players. And Wigan have actually got, you know, as I said before, a, a pretty well-stocked production line. They've got four or five players who could command fees that a sane owner, a, a owner behaving normally, would be thinking, OK, fine, we can cover these losses. It's not a problem. We've got guys that, that, that have been watched. They're good. They're fine. But the minute you go into administration, the entire football industry goes, well, hold on a minute. That player might have been worth six, seven million pounds yesterday, but he's not worth it now, is he? You you need the money right now. We can't even use him at the moment. So, you know, in some ways, we'd almost be doing you a favour right now to do the deal. So you're gonna have you're gonna have half. You're gonna have twenty five percent of what he was worth yesterday. So this is this is the terrible situation that that Wigan Athletic fans are gonna watch now as their as their you know decent side is picked apart. What have the EFL had to say on the matter, maybe privately rather than publicly, because we haven't heard much other than that that uh, secretly filmed conversation that, that Rick Parry was a part of. This has got to be pretty embarrassing for them, though, hasn't it? It's very embarrassing. My, my personal view is that they, they, were, having, they were having a good year. Um, there's new leadership there, and there has been a very clear change of direction in that they were going to get on the front foot with clubs that were that were flirting with insolvency or were <laughs> insolvent. And that's why we've seen so many charges this season. So the EFL's, you know, got lots on its plate. That's why it's talking about salary caps. Now, it is embarrassed about this because it won, you know, waved through Stanley Choi. Now, I think even the harshest EFL critic can say, OK, fair enough. They're a listed company in Hong Kong. The, the Stanley Choi has a public profile in China. You know, they, they paid Dave Whelan. They ran the club, you know, pretty pretty well for a year. Certainly, certainly with no one going, oh, well, you know, what's going on at Wigan? Clearly, what's happened in the last three or four months that are going to be that are going to be much discussed. You know, what did you do? Who did you speak to? What due diligence did you do on this new leadership fund? Did you vet Waikai? Did you ever meet him? Why not? Just just what really happened with this approval of this of this most recent takeover? Because clearly it's gone either disastrously wrong or it was designed to go like this and we've all been, you've been duped and Wigan Athletic fans have been massively let down. But you're right, they they are embarrassed. The real issue is about the owners and directors test. How much investigative work the, the English Football League can do? You know, how big is that department? The owners and directors test is the way it is because that's what the clubs want. And, And club owners don't want a harder test. They don't want a more robust test because they're very worried that no one will buy their club. If you make it harder for someone to buy the club, you could be stuck with it for much longer. So it, it it's not a perfect test by a long shot, but that is really on the clubs to change if they want to. Matt Slater of The Athletic there. If you want to know more, read what he, Ollie Kay and Adam Crafton have been writing. Uh, Sam, you played for a club that went into administration. Well, how does that affect the players on the pitch? Do you, do you put it out of your mind or do you think, well, I'm only getting paid 20% of what I should be for this. I'm going to put in 20% of the effort. No, it's not about that. It's more about the the, the points and the, the recent performances, uh, which they'd have been thrilled about. And there'll be a real feel-good factor around the training ground, uh, full of confidence, looking forward to the next matches all of a sudden. 
potentially need snookers. So that's where it affects the mentality. And there'll be some players who roll up their sleeves and get on with it uh, and be able to motivate themselves to try and get the points to get them safe once more. And there'll be others that think, do we need this? We've been shafted and, and thinking about the next move. And of course, the administrators will already be speaking to agents, trying to move players on. That's inevitable. That's how they're going to pay their debts. So a lot of the players will already be thinking about the next move, unfortunately. It's a huge job for, for Paul Cook starting tonight against QPR and the next few weeks to, to try and get them to get some back-to-back wins to get safe once more. Adrian, you said last week that the 12-point the penalty was harsh. Have you changed your mind and do you think the EFL will change their mind about it? No, I haven't changed my mind because I think in everything about this story smells fishy. So, so for starters, I think it needs to be properly investigated, and and I also feel feel that the the ownership test and whatnot just needs to be needs to be ripped up and started again by the EFL. Um, yeah, it's very complicated. I, I don't fully understand all, all of the reasonings, but I just feel sorry for for the players and and the fans here because. I just don't feel they deserve it. And, and inside a pandemic, I just stand by it. Inside a pandemic, there are going to be a lot of clubs, I believe, that, that are going to have to go into administration, sadly. And I would have liked the EFL to have come up with a, a clear plan for, for when that situation uh, arises. And, and it doesn't seem that they've done that here. They've basically just hit them with the usual penalty. I would have thought some kind of leniency would have would have been would have been fairer but look it's a, it's a complicated case and um yeah uh, murky shall we say yeah complicated and murky two good words to use we will have an update on the wigan situation next week who knows what will have happened by then this is the totally football league show with matt davis adams listen to it totally ad free on the athletic So Lee Johnson is seeking fresh opportunities in the world of football management. Now you can have that for your LinkedIn profile if you like, Lee. Saturday's defeat at home to Cardiff proved one too many for the Robins board. And since the restart, they've picked up a solid zero points. I was going to say we're hardly surprised by this, but Sam, actually, you went a step further and predicted it on, on last week's show. It, they they went as far as they could. They gave him a lot of rope, didn't they? But, but it, as we say, not a surprising decision in the end. No, I think the, the supporters have been split Certainly the lads that I know that um, follow Bristol City down in the West Country split over Lee Johnson for a couple of seasons now, maybe even longer. Uh, He's done really well to consolidate them in the championship, playing pretty nice football. But I think it's a bit of a head scratcher for the supporters at times, the decisions in terms of which players he plays and where they play. Um, I don't think he's utilised Casey Palmer for one, well enough this season. The injury to a phobie clearly didn't help as well. I don't think Brownhill has been replaced and it's still just a bit of a, a muddle when I'm watching Bristol City as to exactly what they're trying to be. So I think he had to get them into the playoffs this season and seven defeats and two draws out of the final nine games has completely seen them fall off a cliff and I think the decision was probably inevitable. Like it's a great job for somebody, isn't it? You know, good ground, well-supported team, well-backed by the owners, nice part of the country, chance to make a bit of history by getting them into the into the Premier League. They won't be short of applicants. No, absolutely not. Yeah, um, no, it's it's a really good club, and Lee Johnson, by and large, did, did a very very good job there over a period of time. It it he just just lost his mojo a little bit. It was all muddled. Some good candidates will, will fancy it, no doubt about it. The reason I'd probably lean towards a, a Chris Hewton right now is, is is that defensively they need they need tightening up. They've got good players in forward areas, a lot of talent, spent big money as well on 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 players, whether it's wages or or the fees themselves, and that hasn't been backed up by a defence that's good enough. Sixty goals conceded. Already this season, last year fifty three in the entirety. Um, year before fifty eight. So, so, so that's one one big problem, problem area to fix. And we know that Hewton is excellent at organising teams. He's, he's he's got sides promoted from the championship before. So, so he would be the one that that I would go for 
personally rather than an up-and-coming coach but I, I get where Sam's coming from because you know fans want a bit of excitement and Hewton might not might not provide that initially at least um, but this could be the job that gets him back into the game. I wonder if Neil Warnock wishes that he hadn't taken the Middlesbrough <laughs> job now that this one's come up. Um, speaking of him this will hopefully become a weekly Warnock quote of the week section in which producer Abby forces me to do an impression of the Borough boss. Uh, this week, it's him talking about being on a bike. You might have seen this clip on Twitter of uh, of Neil in his full Middlesbrough training kit. going for. I was going to say going for a pedal, but it was an electric bike. So going for a, a sit on a seat and getting propelled along. He said, absolutely, getting out on the bike takes you away from intensity of it. I did 38 kilometres yesterday. I really enjoyed it. You can get suffocated if you're not careful. Problems become gigantic. Quite uh, let's have a look ahead to some of the weekend's fixtures then. The aforementioned Wigan at Barnsley on Saturday. That should be a quiet night in at the library. Not. In terms of other games, we're already pumped for. Sam, you've got an eye on Fulham versus Cardiff. Two teams in action on Tuesday with contrasting results. This is a big game, obviously, for Fulham. But given what happened against Blackburn, maybe even bigger for Cardiff? Yeah, really big game for, for Cardiff. I think uncharacteristic characteristically sloppy defensively Curtis Nelson in in particular in that game who has maybe been their their player of the year so yeah they've been on a good run card if they come back you know full of beans I think Glatzel is is finally looking like a championship striker Neil Harris has been talking him up Um, he was battered and bruised in a recent game and had to come off with a head injury but back in the team last night and led the line well got himself a goal so this is a difficult fixture for for Fulham uh, against a team that should still have, you know, decent confidence levels. And yeah, I, I was at Fulham against Birmingham last week, and I'm going to be there again on Friday. And everything that Clarkey says and has been saying the last few weeks runs true with me. It's a, it's a very slow build-up. It's very pedestrian, and even Michael Hector, who we've talked up on this pro, uh, this podcast, I keep calling it a program, this podcast, the last months was dire against Birmingham for 15 minutes. It looked like he was trying to present. Uh, the visitors with a goal. In midfield, Kearney and Arta really disappointing. And Josh Onema and Joe Bryan, two of the substitutes, actually gave them the impetus to go on and win that game, both in from the start at Nottingham Forest in midweek. And I just think with Fulham, you need at least one of your fullbacks to be flying forward and, and being positive and getting balls in the box. Alice Sessegnon and Ryan Fredericks a few seasons ago and Brian certainly delivered that at the weekend. And Josh Onema, another one, making forward runs. Kearney and Arta, a bit too samey in my eyes. And Fulham need players breaking beyond that central strike, whether it's Bobby Dekodova reed or, or Mitrovic on Friday night. And Onema provided that, got himself a goal and he was excellent again uh, in the win at Forest. So... He's got options there, Scott Parker, and they need momentum going into the playoffs. They need to feel good about themselves if they've got any chance of beating the likes of Brentford and Forest over two games. A couple of other biggies at the weekend on Sunday. Swansea play Leeds. You've also got Derby v Brentford on Saturday, but it's Blackburn v West Brom that's caught your eye, Adrian. Yeah, it has. I mean, West Bromwich Albion played tonight, so so we'll have to wait and see how they fare in this one. I just feel that this has the makings of a really good game. Blackburn were a little bit outclassed in their last home game at home to Leeds, but they bounced back with that with that excellent 3 2 at Cardiff. Uh, featured another sensational goal, didn't it, from from Adam Armstrong. I mean, what a week he's had. He's scored two, two worldies, one a free kick, one from 45 yards. Quite some collection he's gathered this season. <laughs> it, it just amazes me when, when I see his name on the bench. I mean, for me, he's got to... Got to start every single game for Blackburn when he's fit and available. Adam Armstrong, he's, he's an absolute match winner. I think there'll be goals because the game at Hawthorne's had it. It was 3-2 to, to, to the baggies there. Uh, Blackburn, we know under Mowbray, will, will be pretty attack-minded. And West Brom's weakness is, is clearly at the back. They're still shipping goals, two to Hull last time out. And um, yeah, I just think it could be could be a real real cracker this one. Um, the one matchup that I'd be fearing if I was in Mowbray's shoes would be ranking Costello at left back. He played a young player, played at left back. He's only 20 against Cardiff. Did did just fine, but 
but he's a rookie in that position. You've got Nyambe as well on the other side, who's not got loads of experience. And and as we know, West Bromwich Albion down the flanks are just sport for choice, aren't they? It's it's frightening, really, what what they have in their artillery uh, wing wise. So yeah, I, th- I think that West Brom will probably get a lot of, lot of joy down the sides, but Blackburn will also pose a threat. So yeah, it could be could be one of the games to watch. Right, Abby, that part of the show where contractual obligations bind you to read out odds on football matches, please do that now using William Hill as the barometer for your prices. We'll uh, we'll talk about the games that the chaps have been talking about. Let's start with that Blackburn-West Brom matchup. Who's the favourites here? So it'd be unsurprising to hear that West Brom are the favourites here, four to five uh, if you fancy backing them. But if you wanted Blackburn to continue their good run, then uh, 15 to four. What about Fulham versus Cardiff? What will you give me for the home win here? Home win is uh, very much in favour with William Hill, 19 to 20. But if you want Cardiff to get back to winning ways, three to one. Uh, we've been talking about the push for the top six. I'm delighted to look at our shared document and find Nottingham Forest as short as one to 20. What about everybody else? Yeah, Nottingham Forest now uh, edging closer to that point where they can no longer be bet on. Uh, but uh, I note that uh, Derby have come in a bit. They were six to one last week and now five to one. So uh, keep your eye on them. But Cardiff are the next favourite still at four to six. What about the Bristol City manager? Who is the who's the favourite for that? The favourite is Evans, and it is Chris Hewton. Uh, the next favourite is Michael Flynn at four to one, which is interesting. And uh, if you, uh, we mentioned Slaviso Jakanovic, he is twenty to one. I always like to look at like the slightly weirder ones. There's not anything outrageous this time, which is quite sad. But we've got Phil Neville in at twenty to one, Sam Allardyce in at thirty-three to one, and Sol Campbell at thirty-three to one as well, which I feel is a bit harsh on Sol. Yeah, I mean, he's actually managed two EFL teams, unlike Phil Neville. Anyway, uh, thanks, Abby. Next, we're odds on to talk League One. Before we get to League One, I want to point you in the direction of the Athletics Ornstein and Chapman podcast, where you'll find an episode with Carl Anker, Ryan Conway, Rashane Thomas and Dan Barnes talking about their article, which asked, why are football crowds so white? As well as themes from the piece, they shared personal experiences as black journalists at football grounds and consider what meaningful change will look like. Here's the Athletics Derby writer, Ryan, speaking to Carl Anker. But I will say, is football too quick to pat itself on the back? Is it enough for television broadcasters to say this is a very, very powerful image of play, football players taking the knee before Premier League games without properly explaining why they're taking the knee. No, I would, I would like them to stop doing that. I'm so sick of, of trying to commodify taking any... It's been... It's now termed taking the knee, and I hate that because it means it, it, it's almost part of pop culture lexicon. And this wasn't, this isn't meant to be part of pop culture. This is because people are being unlawfully killed. This is because people do not have the same opportunities by random chance of the colour of their skin. This is, this is not about commodifying anything. I am so sick to the back teeth of social media posts, of commentators telling me it's a powerful image. I know it's a powerful image. Most of the people watching know it's a powerful image. You need to educate someone who doesn't understand why someone is taking a knee. You need to educate someone on the history of taking a knee. Football is far too quick to roll out hashtags and social media posts and commemorative football shirts. I am sick of this, all of it, because ultimately we have been here before. And we will continue going here unless actual change happens. The Athletics' Ryan Conway there speaking to Carl Anker for a special episode of the Ornstein and Chapman podcast called Why Are Football Crowds So White? To listen to the episode in full, search for the Ornstein and Chapman podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Elsewhere across the Athletics Network, there's a show about Chelsea straight out of Cobham, hosted by some gobby twerp, as well as the Phil Hayes show for all your Leeds needs. They're all available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and other podcasting platforms. But if you fancy a little bit of ad-free listening, then listen via the Athletics app. And if you've not signed up to that yet, then here's a carrot. Go to theathletic.co.uk slash league show, or one word, for a 30-day free trial. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football League Show with Matt Davis-Adams. League One headlines, Mickey Mellon and Tramir Rovers have parted company. There's that phrase again. Uh, The alliterative manager has crossed the border to take the reins at newly promoted Dundee United. Whilst newly incumbent League One gaffer Keith Curl has signed a two-year contract with Northampton Town, his old deal was set to end this summer. And it'll be Wickham Wanderers versus Oxford United in the League One playoff final this coming Monday after the pair booked their tickets to Wembley at the expense of Fleetwood and Portsmouth. 
Let's reflect on those League One playoff semis then, both legs of which have been played since last we met. We'll start with Wickham against Fleetwood, 6-3 on aggregate to the chair boys. Uh, we said it was going to be tight. Uh, what did Gareth Ainsworth get so right here, do you think, Clarkey? Oh, um, well, they had a bit of bit of good fortune, I felt, in, in terms of the performance of, of Fleetwood and their goalkeeper. You don't like to dig out individuals, but I mean, you could make a case that he was at least partially to blame for, for all four goals uh, in that first leg. But no, that, look, they they went for it, Wickham. They played on the front foot. They did what they have done for for the majority of this season. They made it the type of game, certainly the first leg, they made it the type of game that they wanted it to be. I also think that having Onyedimma available proved to be a real difference. I mean, over the two legs, he was he was excellent, particularly the return leg. And it, and it just led me to delve into Onyedimma and, and the impact that he, he makes for Wickham. So I've got a little stat for you. In the 15 appearances, because he's only made 13 starts, 15 appearances because he's, he's had injuries, Wickham have scored 30 goals, so two a game. In the other 21 matches that Wickham have scored this season, in the other 21 matches that Wickham have played this season, they've scored 21 goals, exactly one per game. So on your dimmer makes an unbelievable difference for Wickham. And I do think that his speed and quality and directness just gives them that 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 extra little bit of oomph away from the te- the longer balls, the, the, the physicality, the set pieces. He, he, he can be their match winner and, and the stats show it. So on your dimmer key, uh, Wickham good, Ainsworth got it right. Conversely, Sam, was this the least convincing televised Joey performance since the short-lived <laughs> friend spin-off? Uh, I enjoyed what Fleetwood did in their stands. I thought their mannequins were, were yeah. up there with the best we've seen. <laughs> they were awesome, weren't they? <laughs> and Joey Barton in Baywatch attire was good as well. Um, I think Joey Barton leaves this season with quite a lot of dignity. Uh, not maybe for what's gone on in previous seasons, but I thought he um, was very gracious in defeat, um, was in a, locked in an in-depth conversation with Gareth Ainsworth with Clint Hill at full time and, and spoke uh, really glowingly about Wickham in the his Sky interview. So I think his team's very good. I think they're unfortunate that the season was ended because they were really motoring. And had it not been for 32 crazy minutes, they quite well could find them could have found themselves at Wembley. I mean, 2-1 down and, and Lewis Coyle sent off for that ridiculous challenge. Um, they gave themselves a mountain to climb, uh, I'm afraid. And they played really well on Monday. I thought they dictated proceedings, Coots and Whelan in particular, you know, dropping in and getting on the ball, went to a new shape. Connolly as the 10, we spoke about his versatility this season, joining in with, with Chad Evans. And they played very well, but but obviously Wickham had the, the goals on the board. No, I thought Fleetwood were, were excellent, uh, um, Adams Park, and I'm sure they'll be a, a big threat next season. Yeah, I agree. I thought the football, the quality of their football was was high end League One stuff. It really was, particularly in that in that second leg. Just yeah, lost their heads. Two 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 very bad. Yeah. You could argue that I think it was the first six goals of the playoffs, the the two legs that the goalkeeper mm. should have saved every yeah, goal. Yeah, yeah, both ends. Yeah, I agree. Portsmouth and Oxford that, as well. Yeah, and, and and crucially, it wasn't just Fleetwood's goalkeeper. It was Harry Souter, I think, um, for one of the goals in the first leg, and certainly for for a key goal in, in that second leg, made made a big mistake. So so you know, someone that they've they've relied on, he's been excellent this season, just just didn't quite bring it in in the matches that mattered. So yeah, he was I, in I someone's felt... team of the season as well, wasn't he? Uh, <laughs> it was yeah look it's not I'm not going to go as far as to say and I feel sorry for Joey Bart no one ever could could they but but I actually think correct I actually think that his side his side are going places yeah going to be interesting to see if he's there uh, to go them with him well someone who actually played and scored in that game joins us now Wickham's Joe Jacobson on the other side of this stick Joe, congratulations. You finished the job on Monday night, but you'd started it in the first leg. Presumably the game at Fleetwood went better than you could ever imagined it would do. Yeah, it was, it's such a strange kind of game to be involved in. You guys would have seen it as well. Most of the games that have been played, playoffs and in the Premier League and Championship, have been a little bit cagey, especially at the start. And we, you know, we hadn't played any practice matches against anyone else, so we didn't quite know what was going to happen. But we wanted to start start the game fast and at a good pace and intensity and 
you know, it was three goals in the first 10 minutes. There was sending off, there was penalties, there was all sorts going on. So, yeah, we, we wanted to go there. And I've said this before, the gaffer never sets up to kind of do anything apart from win the game. And, you know, that was our focus. And it may not have been to, to necessarily get a three-goal advantage, but we wanted to go there, win the game, cause a little bit of an upset because we were the underdogs going there. And, you know, the game plan worked worked perfectly and we managed to get good good victory there. So how did that affect things in terms of preparation for the second leg then? Presumably complacency was one of the, the key words the manager used and, and, and trying to avoid that. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a really strange one. I've never really been in a situation where, you know, at the back of your mind, you're, thinking, you're still thinking we've got a three-goal advantage, but the gaffer tried to take that away from us in, and he said, I want to do the same thing. I want to go, go it's at our place. I want to go there and get a win and, and score goals. And, you know, we managed to do that. Obviously, Fleetwood, came and we knew they were going to be a, a wounded animal we knew that they were going to play better more intense and and they did that that was it was one of the hardest games of football I've played in all season and, and credit to um to Joe Barton and Fleetwood for, for putting on that performance but we knew we've got goals in us and and we we kind of thought that if we get one goal it might be enough on on the night because defensively we're pretty good at especially at home and yeah it was just it was a strange strange one to kind of prepare for even though we, we were desperately trying to just keep it the same but there is something there in the back of your mind that that knows the situation and um, it was tough but we managed to get the job done in the end. So you made it into the playoffs via the points per game method not to everybody's taste I think it's fair to say that but but presumably uh, you guys are quite a big fan of it. <laughs> yeah it's a strange one it, um, it's all about timing because the the week before lockdown came into play and the game stopped um we were supposed to play Barry and didn't have a game so so some teams played two games in the time that we didn't play any so I think the last game we played we were fourth missed the week and went down to eight because of the nature of league one at the time it's been so tight so it was unfortunate there was no kind of clear and obvious way of finishing the season our, our gaffers come out straight away and said he wanted to finish the season on the pitch the chairman, I think, at the time wanted it just to be null and voided, and those two options weren't there. So the the options that we were presented to the club were were the points per game method or stop playing, and you know it it, it put us into third place. I, you know, I think that last week when we didn't play was the only game all season where we weren't in the playoff spot. So I think you know over the course of the season we we would have felt hard done by had we not been in the playoffs, but. Um, that you can understand why Peterborough, Ipswich and Sunderland seems like that Doncaster who, who have missed out were aggrieved by it. But there was no kind of way of doing it that allowed everyone to kind of be happy and, and to get on with it. So it, that, that's just the situation we found ourselves in. We, we didn't want to kind of use that to give ourselves an easy way out of not progressing. And um, I think we've managed to do that so far. You mentioned the gaffer there, a word on him. Gareth Ainsworth, the longest serving manager in the EFL. We've had him on the show this season. What is it that makes him such a good fit for Wickham and, and what's he done for you personally? First of all, for the club, to, to have someone who's, who's loyal nowadays is, is quite difficult, especially managers. They get a sniff of an opportunity elsewhere and they're gone and, and the grass isn't always greener. So for for him he's had he's had you know he's had offers to go elsewhere and and you know i'm sure there'll be more in the future that kind of want him he's done such a great job and for him to kind of stay at wickham and and you know give back what they've given to him and you know giving him his opportunity and management and you know giving him time as well which doesn't always happen you've gone from being the bottom three clubs in league 2 to being the third top team in league 1 he's he's done a hell of a job and for me personally he's just He's helped my game just by simplifying everything. He doesn't try and um, complicate too much, not just me, but with all the players. And he kind of just asks you to do simple things. If you do those and you do those well, then he's happy and that's all he asks. There's never any pressure to kind of win or to, to get a certain result. He just wants his performances to be to be high. And regardless of how you get on on the Saturday, you come in Monday morning, his rock music's blaring out the, the speaker system. He's wooing and yelling and he's the same mood as, as what he would be you know, win, lose or draw. So it kind of lets everyone, you know, relax and, and make sure that they're in a good place and, and don't feel too down after defeat and not too high after a win either. Um, have you been to any of his gigs or have you at least watched some of his music on YouTube? No, I haven't. I, do you know what? A few years ago, he, um, it was like a Christmas party we had at the club and he's desperate. Actually, a couple of times. There's one, I think he's quite desperate to get involved and get up on the mic and we got him to sing and Another time we went, we were in France on a pre-season trip and, you know, a few of the, the new players have to get up and sing. We went to see a band and 
um, the gaffer was itching to get on. Someone had a word. Next thing you know, he's frontlining this band or headline band, and and he's uh, he's loving it. I, I'm not sure what he enjoys more, if I'm honest, the singing or the um, the management. But from what I hear, he's uh, he seems to be doing pretty well at both at the minute. He sure is. Um, we'll finish on, on Monday's game then. Firstly, have you ever played at Wembley? And secondly, as, as a regular penalty taker, are you going to be putting your hand up if it, if it goes all the way? Uh, first of all, yeah, of course I've put my hand up. I've, I've taken penalties the last five, six years and, you know, I've, I've missed a couple over my career, but I've always been happy to, to take the next one that comes available. So, of course, I'll, I'll put my hands up. Um, yeah, we, I was there in the Wickham team where we lost in the playoff final Five, 2015 I think it was five years ago we lost on penalties actually and it, yeah that was a tough one to take we, we were winning going into the injury time in extra time and unfortunately they got an equaliser and, and won the penalty shootout so I've got, got a couple of uh, wrongs I need to write there and yeah what an opportunity to, to do it this, on, on this coming week against uh, one of our local rivals who yeah it's going to be a, a great occasion for us and, and a great game well, listen, we wish you all the best for Monday. And, and even if you don't get to, to take a penalty, maybe you could just score direct from a corner. <laughs> yeah, that's the new penalties now. Corners are the new pen, so I'll take that. Joe Jacobson there. Wembley-headed Wickham man. So the other semi-final, we called it too close to call. It nearly was. Oxford edging out Portsmouth on pens after a pair of one-all draws. Pleased to say that the Oxford skipper John Mussinio joins us now via the miracle of Zoom. Hi John, congratulations. That was a that was a tough old tie against Pompey. What was it that gave you the edge over the two legs? Do you think? Ultimately, it was it was the penalties. I think Matt, because nothing was going to separate us, and I think it was widely spoken about that it was the fourth time this season that we we'd ended up one one. And I thought we could have played for a long time and extra time and and not got a goal. There are a couple of half chances, but two very evenly matched sides. I thought two. Uh, two sets of good players with good benches, and ultimately it was—it's a shame. It was, you know, if we'd have lost on penalties, it would have been a, um, a real, a real shame for us, and I think it is for Portsmouth as well. It is obviously a cruel way to go out, but probably was the only way that the two sides were going to be separated in the end. Had you practiced penalties collectively and, and individually yourself? Yeah, we've done a bit of work on them. So we we did a bit of because uh, we had a, a longer than usual build up, so we had time to to practice penalties for the last couple of weeks. And uh, I've been speaking to the goalkeeper about it. Uh, I sort of knew that barring um, barring an injury or a real tactical change, that there were sort of two scenarios in which I was going to be coming on. That was if we were winning at some point and I was, I'd probably be brought on to sort of seal the game or for the eventuality that did happen, which was, was penalties. So I've been practicing them quite a lot actually for the past couple of weeks and yeah you know after about 60 minutes I thought this is going all the way this is going to penalties and the the pressure built and built and built and the, the nerves sort of to set in but thankfully yeah we, we have been practicing as a side I've been speaking to the goalkeeper about what he'd do as well well he basically said don't worry I'll I'll figure it out when they step up and take him and and luckily he did that and luckily it all paid off Old school, I like it. Yeah, none of the, none of these fancy notes. Uh, yeah, well, you, you did what you did what the manager wanted you to come on and do. So, so well done on on that. In terms of how you guys felt, it just looked like like Oxford. Well, both teams, but especially Oxford, because you're such a, an attack minded side, just looked a little bit rusty. How how were fitness levels, sharpness levels, and 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 how rusty do you think you were? Because obviously the the final comes around pretty quickly. You, you're obviously going to be looking for a step up. Yeah, I think by our own admission, we didn't play particularly well over the two legs, and we didn't really get into any flow in terms of our passing game, which we've prided ourselves on all season, and our attacking game. So, <laughs> I think we obviously have excuses because of the amount of time that we've been off and the lack of real practice in terms of you know we, we've had a couple of games. We had a uh, pre-season game against pre-season game it sounds strange saying it but we had a, a game against Fulham and a game against Reading but the pace the pace was very slow I think it was about 25 degrees 26 degrees on both those days the pace was slow both sides didn't want to pick up injuries the the referee was one of the assistant managers on either side so you don't get you don't get up to match pace so we were lacking in sharpness I think we were uh, lacking in terms of match fitness because there's nothing you can do to replicate that uh, hopefully that having played 120 minutes that will give us some sort of advantage going into the final although uh, I'm not sure how much of a big part of that will play but yeah 
it's it's one of those things. If we were playing, if we were playing the first game of the season or the second game of the season, I'd probably say it's going to take us six or seven games to get up to speed. And the same will apply here. The quicker the better. And if we can do everything we can to get up to full match speed on Monday, then then brilliant. But it's just something I think everyone's accepting in watching these games that just might not necessarily happen. John, I saw you you live a couple of times during your brilliant run earlier on in the season, and really impressed with, with the side. Um, just from your point of view and, and how you felt at the time, how disappointing, I suppose, was it to to, lead, to lose Fosu and, and Baptiste in, in January? And did you feel at that stage that may have a real detrimental effect on your chance of promotion? Yeah, obviously it was a it was a bit of a it was a bit of a blow, but I think it it gave us it gave us a boost as well because we lost obviously two of our best players. Um, Shandon actually hadn't played a huge amount for us in the league. He he'd really shone in the the cup games and. We, everyone, it was, it was clear to see from everything that we did and every day in training that he was he was destined to go higher and I think he'll go even higher than the championship and the same applies for Tarek. Tarek was much more an integral part of our, our season and scored quite a few goals and we knew we had to replace that. But on the positive side, what it did for the lads is it showed them that if they do well and if they show that application and show the skill and, and, really, uh, and really play to their ability that first of all, there are people watching and I know that a lot of people come and watch Oxford games um, for a number of reasons, but there are people watching. There are sides above that are willing to take players from Oxford and the club has shown that over the past few years and Oxford are willing to to sell. Maybe not what the, the fans particularly want to hear, but the club have done unbelievably well at sustaining itself by selling those players. And I think that gave us a massive boost in January. And I remember we we did sit down and speak to the players as a collective because we didn't want it to be too much of a negative and, and too much of a... Um, a blow to our season and we really got the impression as the senior lads that the young lads were really happy for Tarek and Shandon but also willing to step into their shoes and actually quite excited about taking that opportunity because every player in the dressing room will back themselves to to actually be better than the ones that have departed even if they've gone to the championship you know you, you know that yourself that's just the way that footballers mentality is and I think we got that and we got a couple of um, younger lads stepping up who've done done brilliantly well and yeah, as much as we'd have loved to have had them in the building for the full season, uh, hopefully it, it you know, pans out that we don't miss them too much. John, in, in terms of Wickham, Oxford got a good record against them recently, unbeaten in five. D- does that matter at all? Does it give you any kind of psychological edge going into Monday? Uh, I don't think so at all. I don't think it does. Um, it's it's nice, but the, the game's so different. The game that we're going to be playing on Monday is so, so different from a game at the Kassam or Adams Park. And I think that all of that goes out the window and, and Wickham, Wickham were a different side to the one that we played early in the season, as were we. I think we played them in early December and there's you know, a huge amount of change in both squads. We're, um, like I said about the, the fitness and the sharpness and getting up to match speed, that's all changed. Personnel's changed and the pitch and the stadium surroundings have changed as well and the, the, the sort of enormity of the game. So I don't think those will, will have too much of an impact um, on, on how the game goes on Monday. Finally, John, we always finish with a serious question. Um, you've got Portuguese heritage, so it begs the question, which has been the bigger gift to the culinary world from Portugal? Is it the pastel de nata or is it piri piri chicken? Oh, I think if you're going to ask ask anyone at this current time, piri piri chicken is the is probably going to be the biggest contributor to English culture from the Portuguese. Um, that and Cristiano Ronaldo's influence, I think those are going to be the two, two biggest things. I, I wouldn't want to argue otherwise on that one. And what's your what's your go to Nando's order? Oh, good one! I've forgotten to be honest. Um, it's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah, I, I don't actually have a too much of a go to. I just end up ordering probably about forty five quid's worth of food and uh, thinking I don't know how I've done that and um, and obviously munching through a lot of it. But yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's widely publicised. Nando's is a, a favourite of footballers, and I'm definitely no different. And yeah, be looking forward to when I can go back actually after the player final, I might, might take a trip. Good stuff. Variety is the spice of life and Piri Piri is the spice of footballer's choice. Um, John, thanks so much for joining us today. Good luck for Monday. Cheers. Thanks very much. Thanks, guys. In terms of Portsmouth then, Sam, Andy Hellier has tweeted us at the Totally Show if you want to do the same. He asked, time for Kenny to get his jacket. After three years, the majority of Pompey fans have had enough. Boring football and odd selections have left us wanting a fresh approach. What do you think? It's really tricky. It's similar to Bristol City because they're such you know, vociferous supporters. They can get on the, the manager's back and... 
listen, they've challenged the last two seasons. They've won a cup. They're in the um, uh, the Football League trophy final again, if that ever gets played. So it'd be really unfortunate for him to lose his job. But the fans want entertained. And, you know, the side play with a handbrake on. They've got this ridiculous home record as well. They're unbeaten, you know, this season at home. So when you throw that into the mix as well, it's so confusing. But I do feel that maybe it's run its course. But, you know, he was adamant. He certainly seemed very confident at the end of the game the other day that he was going to be there next season. I just think, you know, some of the similar themes, maybe we've spoken about other managers, you know, a lack of... Uh, tactical uh, ability to change the tactics I think in game and to, to maybe throw caution to the wind to go for two strikers or or change the shape and making defensive substitutions those kind of comments have just reared their head time and time again when we've been talking about Pompey this season so um, I thought they were disappointing over the two legs but I thought Oxford, Oxford didn't show their best form either you know potentially it was just a little bit of rustiness you know I'd like them to go for a new manager just purely because it's become a little bit repetitive. What do you think, Adrian? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm in line with what Sam's thinking, really. Uh, the fans, no, they're the ones that go to, to watch them. They see 90 minutes every single week. So so they have a good idea of what they're watching. And, and, and the majority don't like it. They, they are a little bit too cautious tactically. I do think that some of the team selections have been have been a little bit strange. But look, ultimately, he has he's put them in a position to go up, and he's he's been to cup finals, like you say. So, so I don't think he's been a failure by any stretch of the imagination. It just feels like the fans don't want it anymore. They don't want to repeat again. They can't stomach another season of of narrow victories and draws and, and games where where they should have gone on and, and won handsomely, they're pegged back and, and and they draw or lose those matches because of cautious approach. So. And I just feel that if the fans aren't on side, it won't take much at the start of next season. Now, we don't think fans will be inside stadiums yet, which which might help help them. But if they were, I think those vibes might transmit to the players and, and that could impact on their on their results. So, um, so, yeah, for me, I think it could do with a little bit of a freshen up because, you know, they've got good players there. Um, and and you, you could argue that they're not getting the best out of them. Time will tell on that one. Abby, unless they've been grossly negligent, William Hill will have established a betting market for the League One playoff final. Do us a solid. Read out the principal prices, please. Oxford are favourites, 8-13. to 13. If you fancy Wickham, 6-5. to five. Simple. And that's in 90 minutes, yes? This is the outright. This is outright promotion. OK. That's just about it for this week, save a largely pointless final question, which on occasion has elicited moments of mirth. Uh, everyone likes pizza. Some people probably don't, but footballers seem to. Cameron Brannigan got two of them for being man of the match for Oxford. And Yaku Meite was seen chomping on one in the stands at Kenilworth Road last weekend. Uh, that's because footballers can apparently eat whatever they like straight after the game. So it begs the question, what did our pair used to chow down on post-match? Sam, what was your... Your go-to snack of choice, I think that probably Haribo featured in it. No, 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 not a fan, not a fan. Um, wow. Pizzas seem to be the go-to towards the end of my career, but me and Clarkie were probably just served up a really naff plate of sandwiches <laughs> yeah. with the um, the cling film wrapped over it and yeah. the subs had normally eaten half of them already, so... That was the case. I do remember a wonderful beige buffet we used to get in the players' bar at Ipswich. Chicken goujons, pizza, wedges. And Jim McGilton, who'd taken over by then as manager, end of a team meeting in pre-season, I think asked for if any of the, the lads had something to say or you know we wanted to, to bring something to the table. And I said, Jim, got to get some more condiments with the, uh, the buffet <laughs> post-match like that. And I don't think I kicked another ball again for Jim. <laughs> so uh, that was the beginning of the end for me, Ipswich. But um, I love Jim and I've seen him since. And that didn't end particularly nicely for me at Portman Road. But um, great player and one of the first lads I would have on a night out from the, all the, the, the fellas I played with. So you didn't get the condiments and you couldn't cut the mustard there either. Not good. Uh, we'll do a separate pod on why you don't like Haribo because that's weird. Adrian, were you, were you the same curly old sandwiches? I was, I was taken aback by that. I thought everybody liked ha- Haribo. Uh, no, not version. that I don't like them, but I'm not going to go post-match, you know, like a seven-year-old after ice skating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, no, it was all about it was all about the rubbish sandwiches of, of which I'd always go. My, you know, my, my eyes would be drawn to the cheese and pickle, obviously. But but no, I think after away games, we often teams I've played for would just do the chippy. It'd always be a you know a, a pie and chips for me on on the way back, and and it was it was a staple for for most football teams back in the day. I remember when I was a schoolboy at Arsenal having to stick around after the games and whatnot. I think I might have been an apprentice at the time. And 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 opposition teams always used to go to the, the chip shop at the bottom of Avenel Road. And, you know, I've seen Kenny Dalgleish, you know, go down there and, and with, with the order and and get it in. It's it's amazing how how times have changed because you wouldn't see you wouldn't see footballers in a, in a chippy these days, certainly not straight after a game. But how it was back then and yeah I liked it nice well listener you are the extra topping to our tomato base and for that we thank you we'll be back same time next week but until then from Adrian from Sam from me and from Abby it's goodbye you've been listening to the Totally Football League show a Muddy Knees Media production for sales and advertising please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta and be sure to check out our website, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Muddy Knees Media.